How about a loud amen for that beautiful rendition? Oh, that's not very loud at all. Come on. Do it again. Amen. That was just beautiful. Thank you, Wind Symphony. Powerful. And thank you, Alan Mitchell. And I tell you what, guys, that piece that you played as the voluntary, O Magnum Mysterium, absolutely stirring. That was, you've never played that piece, have you? Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. And it, let's see, tonight, what time is the concert tonight? Because it, I saw on the screen it said 8 o'clock, and then I heard from you first service it was 7 o'clock. I want to get the right time. What time is the, uh, it's 8. All right. No, you said 8, and the screen said 7. Sorry, Alan, you're right. 8 o'clock tonight, H-Pack. Oh, that's going to be a great concert. I tell you what, Andrews University, we are blessed to have this music department on this campus. They just come at us again and again and again, and we never stop getting blessed. And it's such an honor to have young adult musicians with their mentors who lift us up, especially at this season. This is when the music just sweeps you heavenward, and thank you for doing that this morning already. Bless you. Last night, by the way, our choral groups... Steve Zork, utterly inspiring. Tonight will be no exception. Bless you. In my blog today, the blog gets posted on Thursdays and it shows up in the uh, worship bulletin, but in my blog today, I noted that Cyber Monday, you know what uh, this last Monday was. This is Cyber Monday, online sales in the United States. Did you hear the number? $1.25 billion we Americans spent just online buying Christmas gifts. So, Jose, when you talked about, Pastor Jose, when you talked about uh, this uh, hyper, what do you call it, hyper, hyper shopping or something like that, that is just absolutely true. That's a 33% rise over last year's Cyber Monday. Unbelievable. But it's the high-tech world in which we live. And these young pastors on our pastoral staff, they're really working me over. They said, Dwight, you just have to get with the times. And particularly Pastor Rodley, who's our pastor for this generation evangelism, he says, Dwight, get into Twitter. You've just got to get into Twitter. I already have a Facebook account, but I never go to it, so it's, it's no good to have it. Uh, so anyway, over Thanksgiving, very quietly, nobody looking, I began to work on Twitter. How do you, how do, you do a tweet and, and, and this kind of a thing? You know, you, you're, you're, you're limited to 140 characters. If it's not there, forget it. Some of you are thinking you wish sermons were, li- were limited to the same. It'll never happen, trust me. It'll never happen. But anyway, I went on over, over uh, Thanksgiving. And I do believe it's another opportunity to connect. And so I'm going to put an address on the screen for you. Right now. You know that with Twitter, you have to put the at first. Can we put it up? You have to put the at symbol first. And then it's just Dwight K. Nelson. We, tr- we, we try to get Dwight Nelson, but somebody else has it. So if you ever meet him, say hi. But this is Dwight K. Nelson. And look, it's, it's a holiday. Uh, you, you're going to have uh, your final exams, and then you're going to be leaving. You'd like to keep in touch with your campus. I'm going to be tweet, trying to tweet every day. What are you going to tweet, Dwight? Come on. A little bit of a theological reflection. Maybe some devotional inspiration. Maybe a website. I just read something. Man, you've got to check this website out. Last night, they sang 
the world premiere, that's what they called it, of a piece composed of the poem by E.E. E. Cummings and Nicholas Zork, our own Nick Zork and Aaron Roche, both in New York now, uh, composed it. Was just, it was just powerful. But I tweeted, I got home last night, I said, I got to tweet this little line, from spiraling ecstatically this proud nowhere of earth's most prodigious night blossoms a newborn babe. Uh, you know, E. Cummings, you just hear it and you can't figure it out. But the, the tweet has that line. So, I'd be honored if you followed along now and then these tweets. Tell your friends about that uh, site as well. It's a world, a high-tech world we live in. In fact, right after we pray, we're going to pull our cell phones out. And I want to hear from you. But first, let's pray. Oh, God, this music today has swept us to your throne room. Do you celebrate Christmas up there at this time? Of course, the truth is that the gift that made Christmas possible is the greatest news this universe has ever heard, and it is celebrated 24-7 where you are. We don't want to forget down here either. So in these few moments that we have together, energize today's Bible teaching back to the fourth gospel one last time this semester. Let it be clear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me put the title of today's teaching on the screen for you right now. This is the last word, our last Sabbath this semester with it. title of today's teaching of Sheep and Shepherds and the Midnight Star. There's a website, by the way, those of you who are joining us live streaming. We're glad you, you have joined us. Um, that website is, is there for others who are watching. If you'd like to get the, the study guide, we're not going to get to the study guide to right at the end. It's just boom, 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 and then it's over. And so... They're going to come through right now. If you need a study guide, just hold your hand up. Our our fine ushers are coming your way. But that title sounds like a Christmas story to me, which, of course, it isn't. Because there is no Christmas story in John. John tells the Christmas story not at all. Not the fourth gospel. The closest John comes to the Christmas story is John in, in his prologue, John chapter 1. You remember verse 14? And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's it. That's all of Christmas there is in John. Now, you've got to admit, that is a huge and powerful it. But that's the narrative. That's the story. So how can we come to this last Sabbath of the semester? Moving into Christmas break and not have anything with the Christmas story in it. As it turns out. Just by sequential moving through this grand gospel, the fourth gospel, we come today to John chapter 10 where where Jesus will declare, I am the good shepherd. And what's Christmas if it's not shepherds and and sheep and the midnight star? So we get we get the you can get there from here. We get this little interface, but it still presents the dilemma. Because how can we who are so utterly urban and urbane? How can we possibly wrap our minds around so agrarian a metaphor? Agrarian, you know, it means barnyard, farmyard. Who lives around barnyard animals anymore? Unless you're an ag major here at uh, Manders University. But you know what? It's possible that we have sold ourselves a little bit short. We know perhaps more than we realize about the metaphor of shepherd and sheep. Sheep, rather. Enough. All right. <laughs> I was trying to come, come up with something, but there's nothing. When you're wrong, you're wrong. 
Okay, so here's, here's, here's the deal. Get your cell phone out. If you're here in the... Uh, well, they were, they were clicking away in First Church. If you're here in the uh, Wind Symphony, grab your cell phone as well. Some of you have already been on it, so you already have it on your lap there. I'm going to put a question on the screen because we know that Jesus is about to say to us in John 10, I am the Good Shepherd. So... I'm going to put a question on the screen. At the bottom of the screen, there will be a text number. Please text this number, and they'll start coming in. Uh, Here's the question. Let's put the question on the screen, please, guys. Thank you. So what do you know? What do you know about shepherds that would make this metaphor, I am the good shepherd, good news? Okay, here's the question. What is so good news about being a shepherd? Jesus wouldn't take a bad news metaphor. It's obviously good news. So what makes... Being a shepherd, good news. Would you right now begin to text me? You see the number on your screen? Those of you who are live streaming, you are seeing the number on your screen as well. Anywhere in the world that you're watching this, you can send a text and we will get it. All right? So take a few moments. This is not a hard, this is not rocket science question. What do we know about being a shepherd in this urban society? We're all city slickers, you and I. Let's just see what's up here. All right? Oh, boy, here we go. 77 here. He's always caring for us. It means he will take care of me. That's what shepherds do. A shepherd protects and provides for his sheep. They protect and care for the flock. He's already... Ooh, that's a bad word. All right, buddy, thank you for that one. Okay. Um, You're thinking about shepherds, real live shepherds. Shepherds help creatures that wouldn't survive without them. Even if we were the only sinner, okay, so you're thinking about Jesus now, he would still go out of his way to protect us. David was a shepherd and he killed a bear and a lion for his sheep. Shepherds lead and protect. That's good. Shepherd is a leader and a protector. All right. Keep refreshing. Oh, we're up to 180. He, 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 the shepherd goes right when everyone goes left. Oh, I like that. Goes right when everyone goes left. Shepherds are inherently gentle. He protects his flock just as God protects us. Shepherds will do anything to protect their flock. Jesus is the ultimate. Well, that's good. They see what the sheep can't. Good on you. Was that from behind me? Very good. Takes care of the sheep, protects them. Good shepherd places the safety and comfort of the sheep as his primary. Shepherd loves his sheep like none other. He's still going? We're up to 214. He stays with them. A shepherd always watches. A shepherd goes in front. He will supply my needs. It's good. I've got to keep refreshing this. It means he cares for everyone, even the ones that text the pastor bad words. <laughs> you go. <laughs> did I set that up or what? Thank you. Yeah. I'm not mad at the guy that did that. But uh, it's a very good point. <laughs> that was pretty fast, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They lead by their voice. Shepherds lead by their voice. All right, just do, just, just do a few more. They keep searching until they find what they're looking for. Good for you. Shepherds seek the lost sheep. He's not afraid to get dirt on his hands. They are loving. The shepherd will take care of his flock. He loves it. They lead their sheep in the right direction. We are the, sh- we are the sheep and he is the shepherd. Let's hit the button right there. Let's, let's find out. Come on, open your Bible to the primary chapter, John chapter 10. Primary document today is this fourth gospel that has been our, our theme book 
all this semester. John chapter 10. How does it match up? What Jesus says, how does it match up with what we've just texted? John chapter 10, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Most assuredly, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And hit the pause button right here, because remember, chapter 10 is immediately on the heels of chapter 9. And what happened in chapter 9 was when we were together just before Thanksgiving. What happens in chapter 9, you remember, is that on a Sabbath day with a little bit of spit and mud, Jesus heals a man who's been born blind from birth. You remember that story? He heals him. Now, the man goes off singing the praises of whoever healed him. He doesn't know who's healed him. The Pharisees, the religious prelates of Jerusalem, the spiritual hierarchy, find the man, and they are enraged because they know who healed him. So they haul the man in front of the Supreme Court, also on Sabbath, and they begin to grill him. And what really infuriates them is that the man, eloquently, he's just a blind man. He's just a commoner, but the Holy Spirit comes into him, and he logically, eloquently defends the Lord Jesus, whom he has never met. And that only, that only sends them over the top, and you remember they excommunicate him, toss him out of the synagogue, you're out of this temple, Jesus finds him. That's precisely what has happened immediately before Jesus speaks these words. So something's gone on with the spiritual leadership. And now Jesus is going to dramatically contrast two paradigms of spiritual leadership. His own and theirs. A cabal of Pharisees standing right there. Jesus is speaking so that they can hear. Now we're ready. Uh, Chapter 10 again, verse 1. Most assuredly I say to you, by the way, remember, John is the only author who uses this literary device. What's just happened is he's used amen twice. Amen, amen. Verily, verily in the King James. Truly, truly in the NIV. Most assuredly in the New King James. Amen, amen, I say to you. The moment you get a double amen with John. It's like this huge red flag. You remember this. And John said, hey, Dwight, slow down, slow down. This is, this is heavy. This is big. Listen carefully. Amen, amen. Jesus speaking. I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up by some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. You know who he's talking about. They're standing around him while he's offering this metaphor. But, verse 2, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Verse 4, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now verse 5, yet they will by no means, double negative in the Greek, they will no, not ever follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is absolutely right. Palestinian shepherds are, are exactly that way. Very affectionate towards their sheep. I think all shepherds on earth are affectionate. I had Greg Constantine come up to me after, after uh, First Church. And he says, let me tell you about Romanian shepherds. I think shepherds everywhere are that way. They name their sheep. So usually it's based on some physical, some physical characteristics. So it would be floppy ears or little stubs, little tail, you know, sheep tails, short. But it's an affection and it's an endearing term. And the shepherd knows that name. And he'll call that name when he wants that sheep. And the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Amazingly, the Christmas story begins with shepherds and sheep. I'll go back to that. Thank you for reading that a moment ago, Jose. Let's go back 
Let's go back to uh, the Gospel of Luke for a moment. Now, there were in the same country shepherds. Notice it's plural. There were shepherds living out in the fields. You know, I had a gentleman ask me just this last week. We're having uh, Bible studies. He's getting ready to uh, be baptized here. He said, hey, Dwight, so uh, when is Christmas? And, of course, there's no way to know when Christmas is. We know it is not December 25. That's a date pulled off of a pagan ritual calendar. We also know it's not December 25 because you wouldn't be out in the fields. Not, not, not late in December. This has to be earlier in, the, earlier in the fall. It might be October, maybe 1st of November. They're still able to be outdoors. Now, there were shepherds. Now, they were in the same country. Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock. Now, notice, plural shepherds, singular flock. What's going on here? They're all, they all have their own flocks. Everybody does. But tonight, it's a dark night. It's a tad chilly. Let's pull all our flocks together so that we have a singular flock. We'll have to untangle them come the morning. And so the shepherds are there with a single flock. Each has his own flock. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And what happens? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. About them, and they were greatly afraid. And of course, this is the classic. This is a classic Christmas moment. They, out of breath, go pounding. They leave their flocks uncharacteristically, pounding into little Bethlehem. They kneel before the newborn in that box of cow feed. They sense, as the angel said, you will be in the presence of the Son of David. That means the Messiah. They bow down and worship Him. Nobody sleeps a wink that night. You can be sure of that. By the time they get back, the first blushes of crimson on the eastern sunrise horizon are spreading across the hills of Bethlehem. It's time to go back to the pastures. What do the shepherds do? Kenneth Bailey, a New Testament scholar, was in Palestine and he observed a Palestinian shepherd with 200 sheep. All right, 200 sheep. And he was trying to ascertain how did the sheep know how to follow this guy. He listened to the shepherd who had a unique 10-second call. Whatever it was, it was just 10 seconds or words or whatever. Then there would be roughly a 40-second break, and then he'd issue that call again. And all 200 sheep simply focused in, honed in like radar, on the shepherd's calling and his voice. And they followed him. So when they, were, when they arrived early, we'd, you know, we like to say that was Christmas morning, and they have to untangle their sheep. It's no big deal at all. The shepherd just gives his call. And the sheep don't follow another sh- They don't want to follow. They don't say, well, maybe there's better food with that guy. No, they know exactly to whom they belong, and they follow. So Jesus is telling this metaphor, explaining it to them. And notice verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. Oh, come on, Pharisees, come on. Worshippers crowding the courts of the temple. You, you don't understand about shepherd and sheep? Of course you do. Ah, but that's John's way of telling us. Jesus is not about sheep and shepherds. There's something much deeper here that Jesus is trying to teach. And oh boy, when he plunges into this metaphor, here we go. Verse 11, I am. I am the good shepherd. Thank you, Sarah, for that beautiful testimony. That's exactly right. In the Greek, it's ego a me. It's intentionally to be read. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am 
the good shepherd. Moses says, when they, when they ask me who has sent me to Egypt, what shall I tell them? I am has sent you. Wow. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Hit the pause button right there. I need to tell you that whoever stands here in the pioneer pulpit, he, she, anybody who comes to this church and preaches, there are two glorious realities about standing right here. Reality number one, you probably don't look at very often, but the, the wind symphony will affirm this. The pulpit is stationed right at the foot of a cross. Isn't that right? You're sitting on the cross right now, which is where you're supposed to be. But the pulpit is right here at the foot. That, 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 that's making a symbolic statement in and of itself. When our designer said, hey, listen, Dwight, how about if I put in some really scarred up dark wood here so that it stands out from the rest? I said, I'll do it. This, this platform ended up on a trade magazine across the nation. So I mean, he did a great job. So every time a preacher comes here and steps here, it is, it is a humble honor, trust me, to stand right here. You're standing at the foot of the cross. But there's another glorious reality that you never see. You never see this when you come to Pioneer. But I see it every single Sabbath. And that is when I stand here, I look at one of the most beautiful stained glass windows anywhere in the nation. Now, to save you getting a crink in your neck, we're going to put it on the screen for you. Let's put it on the big screen and just pull that camera off slowly. That's... The center, that's 20 feet tall, translucent glass, letting in the colors of light. And it's a portrayal, as you can see, of the Good Shepherd. You see him standing there, the Good Shepherd with the, with the staff, with the rod in his hand. And you see the sheep. I don't know if that's a ewe, I don't know if that's a ram, but that sheep is just pushing right up, smack dab against the staff. And you see that the shepherd with the one free arm, in the crook of that arm, he's carrying a little lamby, isn't he? He has that lamb, a peaceful, contented look on that little lamb's face. So, which one are you? I know we're not the shepherd, but which one of those two is you? Are you the sheep? Are you the lamb? Truth of the matter is, we're often both, aren't we? There are times when my life is just, is just crumbling in my heart. And I feel like a tiny little lamb. If only there were a shepherd to pick me up and hold me close now. We're lambs. We're, we're lambs. We're sheep. Wow. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness be thou near me. Watch my sleep till morning light. She was a mother of two. Twenty-five years old. In December caught a chill. The chill turned to a fever. And on January 5, 1840, Mary Lundy died. The next year after this 25-year-old young mother's death, her own mother published her memoirs and included in them one of the 23 hymns young Mary had written. This one, a children's prayer, she composed for her own two little toddlers. I'm going to put the words on the screen for you. It's only two stanzas long. It's in our hymnal. We put it on the screen. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness be thou near me. Watch my sleep till morning light. All this day thy hand has led me, and I thank thee for thy care. Thou hast clothed me, warmed and fed me. Listen to my evening prayer. 
But posthumously, this short and touching hymn eventually went viral. If you can go viral in 1841, it went viral. And children all over the nation began to sing these words as they drifted off to sleep. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. But come to think of it, there's always been a very simple, very similar prayer for going to bed. Hasn't there been? Only this prayer, not so much for the not so much for the end of the day. This prayer really is for the end of the life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. That's the beloved, universally beloved, Psalm twenty three. I love it in the King James. And you had to learn it in the King James. And so what I want to do is let's, let's just, at the end of the semester, just kind of let some of this stress just seep out of us. I want to read this great prayer, Psalm 23. Put it on the screen. It'll be in the, in the uh, language of your grandparents. And I want us to read it out loud together. All right? So we're going to read this out loud together. Let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You know what? After a long and grueling semester... There's something comforting in, in reciting those words, isn't there? Look, I just sitting there writing the manuscript on Thursday, and I put the words up and just read them through. And I tell you what, it just, it just brought tears to my eyes. This has not only been a long and grueling semester, this has been a long and grueling year. We're about to end the year together. Wow. The Lord, in spite of the year that we have had, the Lord is my shepherd. So what's so good news about the shepherd? <laughs> Got hundreds of your responses here. Let's find out. Let me just see if I can recall some of those. Let's put them down. Take your study guide now. Just this, this, this final inning of this sermon will be the study guide. Pull it out. Why this metaphor, I am the good shepherd? What's so good news? Would you write it down, please? Let's put it down as number one. Put it on the screen, please. I am the good shepherd is good news because it means there is someone who leads me. Over and over, your text, and I was skipping a lot of text just to find something different. Over and over, your text said, the shepherd leads. Oh, I love that. Because the shepherd doesn't drive his sheep. Yo, 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 come on, guys, go, go. The shepherd doesn't drive his sheep, does he? No, the shepherd gets in front of the sheep. Isn't that right? The shepherd leads his sheep. I tell you, when I was a kid, 
growing up in, a, uh, in, in summers by a little mountain lake in Japan called Lake Nojiri. I tell you what, I was never, as a boy, I was never afraid of the dark as long as my dad was in front of me and he had a flashlight. Anywhere dad went, hey, not to worry, no fear. I love how Desire of Ages puts it. And by the way, this chapter from Desire of Ages, I've, just, I've slipped into your study guide, just a few of the classic. This is a collection of some of the great classics in that book. You've got to read the whole chapter. But they're all in the study guide for you to keep. And I love this one right here, how Desire of Ages expresses it. Put it on the screen, please. As the shepherd goes before his sheep, leads the way. Himself first encountering the perils of the way. That's what it means. When Jesus leads me, he runs into trouble first. I don't, the, I don't get the trouble first. He gets the trouble first. For himself first encountering the perils of the way. So does Jesus with his people. The way to heaven. Now, this is, this is poignant. The way to heaven is consecrated by the Savior's footprints. The path may be steep and rugged. Some of you right now are on a, on a very rugged pathway. God and you alone know what it is you're going through. It seems like your life is unraveling. It seems like you have met an insurmountable obstacle. You are not sure you can, you can survive another day. I need you to see this. Because the good shepherd goes in front of the sheep, which means whatever it is you're going through, Jesus has already determined. He went through it first. He's already determined. You can pass through this. You can get there from here. He's close enough to touch Close enough to touch. He's right in front of you. Ah, the way to heaven is consecrated by the Savior's footprints. The path may be steep and rugged, but Jesus has traveled that way. His feet have pressed down upon the cruel thorns. What's cutting your heart right now? This rejection. Marital rejection. Pink slip at the job rejection. We're cutting back. Sorry about the economy. You You lose. The thorns have already been pushed down by feet bloodied by His choice to lead you. His feet have pressed down the cruel thorns to make the pathway easier for us. Every burden that we are called to bear, He Himself has borne. Whatever it is you're going through, here's the good news. Whatever it is, He's going through it right in front of you. Right in front of you. It's okay. Touch Him. He's right in front of you. How's that old hymn go? He leadeth me, oh blessed thought. Oh, how's it go? Heavenly something, heavenly comfort, fraught. Yeah. You can trust Him. Here's the point. You can trust Him. If He's right there going in front of you, you can trust Him. All right, number two. What's the good news about I am the good shepherd? I am the good shepherd. Good news. There is someone who will lead me. What's the next one? There is someone who pastors me. Write the word in pastors. Because you see, in the Greek... The word for shepherd and the word for pastor are identical. So a correct translation of what Jesus has just said is, I am the good pastor. That's what he said. I am the good pastor. Which is why if you speak the language of heaven, Pastor Jose, and you speak Spanish. Amen. Thank you. And you come to Psalm 23. Here's how Psalm 23 reads in the Spanish. Jehovah es mi pastor. The Lord, Jehovah, the Lord is my pastor. Read that way in the Spanish. So that's the good news because you see, pastor is to, is to somehow identify a nurturer. That's what pastors do. Those who have the gift of pastoring have the gift of nurturing. Or you wouldn't go into it. Trust me, you'd stay away from this job. It's just, you would say, I'd do something else. 
Well, what does a nurturer do? Well, 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 look at this Psalm 23. We just read it a moment ago. So what does it do? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he what? He leadeth me by still waters, green pastures. He anoints my head with oil, his rod and his staff. Nurturer. One of the great pastoral depictions of God in the Old Testament, I love this, is Isaiah chapter 40. Pastor Michael quoted from this in his prayer a moment ago, but not this line. Isaiah 40, can we put that on the screen? Bless you. He, speaking of God, he will feed his flock. God's a shepherd. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm. That's what that stained glass window is depicting. And he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, we can trust him. Come on, somebody who's going to carry you? Why can't you trust him? You can. All right, what else is good news? What you say? Ah, somebody put this down. Let's put it on the screen. The good news about I am the good shepherd is that there is someone who knows me. Jot that down. Somebody who knows me. Desire of ages again. Jesus knows us individually and is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows us all by name. Nobody ever comes to him and says, hey, you know Robert, don't you? Boy, Robert, Robert, boy, that name is familiar. I just can't put the face with it. He knows us by name. He knows the very house. Keep reading. He knows the very house in which we live. He knows the name of each, each occupant. He is at times given directions to his servants to go to a certain street, to a certain city, to such and such a house, and to find one of his sheep. I want you to go to the fourth floor, third floor of Myers. I want you to go down that long hallway. You go by the laundromat. Don't worry about how it smells in there. Just keep going. Fourth door down, I want you to go there. I know who's in the room. I know the sheep that I'm sending you to. Every soul, oh this, I, I underline this, every soul is as fully known to Jesus as if he were the only one for whom the Savior died. There were nobody else on this planet. And you were the only one he died for. That's how well I know you, Dwight. That's how well I know you. James. Every soul is as fully known to Jesus as if he were the only one for whom the Savior died. The distress of everyone touches his heart. The cry for aid reaches his ear. Last line, he cares for each one as if there were not another on the face of the earth. I have eyes for no one else. It's as if you were the only occupant of this planet. The only inhabitant. And I'm watching you. No wonder we can trust him with our lives. It's if you're the only one, boy. Girl, you're the only one I know. Trust me. Wow. Now, here's number four. There are five of these. Here's number four. There is someone who protects me. That's what's good news. And that came up over and over again in your text messages just a moment ago. I want to share with you what for me is one of the most perceptive statements about fear that I have ever read. I have a book in my library written by John Harris titled the book Stress, Power, and Ministry. This is profound. Put the words on the screen for you. They're also in your study guide. Harris writing, Fear is the great destructive force in us. Fear shuts down spontaneity. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. Uh, This will have to happen to me. I'm not going to do it. Fear shuts down spontaneity and most importantly turns us away from others and in upon ourselves. If I hang around them, if 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 I step into that situation, if I... no. Fear turns us away from others and in upon ourselves. Fear drowns out our capacities for life. Fear makes us afraid of life itself, afraid of the intensity living brings with it. 
And here's what struck me. If fear persists in us long enough so that we just nurture that fear, we just coddle that fear and never relinquish it, if fear persists in us long enough, we often come to a terrible moment of recognition, perhaps in middle life or later, that life has passed us by, that we have never really lived the life given to us. Isn't that something? I nurture my fears. Afraid of death. Afraid of life. Afraid of failure. Afraid of success. It's crazy, the fears we hang on to. What would happen the next time that fear comes to you? The next time that fear comes to me? What would happen if we, just in that moment, imagine that the Good Shepherd is right there. That the fear has to come to the Good Shepherd. How, how did that line go? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For what? For thou art with me. What if I just imagine in the face of that fear that has threatened my life? A crazy fear. What if I imagine that the Good Shepherd was standing right there and that He would face the fear first. This last week, Tuesday night, I was with a man my age who was dying. Went up into the room, the home, where he was, took his hand, and asked him what's happening, what's going through his mind, what's going through his heart right now. He knew. He'd just gotten the word the day before. As I held that hand, I listened to this man. Find the words. Articulate. Find the words to confess his faith that God was able to carry him through what was just ahead. He died Thursday night. But Tuesday night, he knew Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For Thou art with me here. Amen. It's good news. No wonder, no wonder I can trust Him. He protects me. No evil, whatever comes to me. He says, Dwight, I let it. We win out of this. You watch. We win in the end. Finally, what's the good news about this? I am a good shepherd metaphor. Some of you had it on your text message as well. Ah, there is someone who loves me. A shepherd loves his sheep. A shepherd just plain loves his sheep. Ah, look at this, verse 14. So significant, the metaphor Jesus repeats it in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And am known by my own. Verse 15. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, Craig Keener, in his uh, commentary on the Gospel of John, he, he really is spot on here. Let me put that one line from uh, Keener here. But that this shepherd shows his love for the sheep in the ultimate sacrifice by deliberately dying for them, bursts the bounds of the shepherd and sheep image. The moment Jesus says, I'm laying down my life for my sheep. Suddenly, we're not dealing with humans and animals anymore. We've gotten out of the barnyard now. We are dealing with Savior and lost. The moment he says, I will lay down my life. And wonder of wonders, get this, wonder of wonders. When Jesus says he's going to lay down his life, it will be at his timing. And by his invitation. Look at this, verse 17. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. 
over and over in John up to chapter 10, he's been hinting at dying. He's been hinting. He has never come out this starkly and dramatically and declared, I am now going to die. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, verse 18, takes it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have authority. I have power to lay it down. I have authority. I have power to take it up again. I will die on my terms and in my time. And he did. I mean, how do you explain that? For a sheep like me, please, with all my matted wool foibles, Please, please. Desire of Ages. One last Desire of Ages line. Put it on the screen there. The soul that has given herself to Christ is more precious in His sight than the whole world. The Savior would have passed through the agony of Calvary that one, uno, one, that one might be saved in His kingdom. He will never abandon one for whom He has died unless His followers choose to leave Him that's the only choice you have. I, I'm out of here, shepherd. I, I don't need you. I'm going to pick my own shepherd. In fact, let me shepherd my own life. Would you please? And by the way, even when we wander away, guess what the shepherd does as you put in your text? He goes right after you. Until he gets the final Noah, you're out of my life. Bug off. I don't need you anymore. Unless his followers choose to leave him, he will hold them fast. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us as children. Reader. He loves you. Heaven itself can bestow nothing greater, nothing better. He leads me. He pastors me. He knows me. Protects me. He loves me. That's the shepherd. Good news in this metaphor? Are you kidding? But what's the point? A young mother, frazzled, Spent from having to hang on to her two kids at an armload full of Christmas shopping bags. She steps onto this crowded elevator. You can picture it a moment. The holiday mania is taking its toll. So she's in, in this elevator. She just pushed in. The door closes in front of her. Talking to nobody in particular, she blurts out, Whoever started this whole Christmas thing ought to be found, strung up, and shot. From the back of the elevator, there came a voice. Don't worry, lady. We've already crucified him. They said you could have heard a pin drop the rest of the way down. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So then how then should we live? Uh, if you, were going to, if you were going to tweet John 10 in two words, the shortest sentence in Desire of Ages is two words long, and it's in this chapter, and I'll put it on the screen for you. Two words, therefore, trust. That's it, guys. Therefore, trust Him. Trust Him with your life. Trust Him with your future. Trust Him with the new year. Trust Him with, with all that you are. And all that you have, therefore, I love that. Just two word, two word sentence. Therefore, trust. You'll never, till your dying day, find anyone who loves you more deeply and who is traveling more closely beside you. Therefore, 
trust.